Welcome to the Whisper Town podcast, provocative topics discussed freely. I'm here with my resident guest, as always, Stephen. How are you doing, sir? I'm very good this evening. Thank you very much. How are you? Very good, sir. I'm very, very good. What's been going on? Well, trying to keep busy, trying to keep busy, Um, trying to sieve through the ridiculous news updates and bulletins that keep flashing past on the phone um but today's episode is to talk about one specific bulletin so the name of today's episode is called the fast fashion stereotype what do you think that's about Stephen? well I, I heard that and i think i was i was good up until the stereotype at at the end of the statement which which sort of shifted what i would possibly perceive the topic would be about so fast fast fashion makes sense but but as a stereotype uh it, it's it's implying it's implying the, the the inherent nature of certain aspects of the fashion of the fashion industry yeah so i'm going to give you an anecdote uh, at the beginning of 2016 i took a trip to China and the reason I took a trip to China was to meet manufacturers for a clothing brand that I was hoping to start up at that time okay. so I had already struck up a relationship with some manufacturers based out in, in China and I decided rather than try to do everything off or online and uh, rely on pictures I actually wanted to go and meet the people that I might have started a long-term business relationship with. So I flew to China, uh, mainland China via Hong Kong, and I took a bullet train from Shenzhen all the way to a place called Don Guan, which is deep in the bush in southwest China. Now, Don Guan, deep. locally... Oh, go on, say. No, no, carry on. Yeah, so Dongguan is apparently known as the world's manufacturer of clothing, apparently. And that's what I was led to believe at the time. And that was the reason why I ended up visiting there. And I went to meet four different clothing manufacturers. Mm -hmm. And I actually went into the factories to see how they were running their operation, um, what capabilities they had in terms of producing clothing and how quickly they could turn things around. But most importantly, the cost. It, it always intrigues me um, that when that people go to that side of the world to visit different manufacturing, clothing, particularly clothing manufacturing establishments to, to get a sense of their capabilities. Um, 
But carry on. Uh, more on that point uh, when it comes up in conversation after. Yeah. So I went there to see what they can do, how they can do it. And I was interested in, obviously, the price that they could offer for producing different items based on designs that I would give them and how they could send bulk orders directly from China to, to me in in London, in, in the UK. Now, one thing that I learned from the whole experience was that avoid material... Avoid wet markets? Oh, yes. Um, I did not eat anything that didn't look real <laughs> or at least familiar to me. So that's certainly one thing I made sure. Definitely don't go to wet markets. But what I did learn is that materials for almost anything in China was very, very cheap. Also, I learned that human resources can be very, very, very cheap. Now, whenever I went shopping in the UK, and if I ever had to stumble into a Primark, typically to get underwear and, and the like, um, <laughs> I would always question myself as to how a business as big as Primark can afford to even sell clothing like shirts and trousers for four pounds. Yeah. You know, and you look at the label, it will say, you know, made in China or made in Cambodia. And you sit down and think, this has come all the way from China. So you've got to think about the materials, resources, shipping, the air fuel or freight charges, mm -hmm. taxes, and everything else in between. And you are somehow making a profit off four pounds, really. And I've always had it in the back of my mind that, well, really and truly, there is exploitation surely in this supply chain because I just the numbers just don't add up. You know, yeah. If you just sit down, someone is really losing really, really badly for them to be winning of such low uh, cost uh, uh, sell prices. So for me, I've always heard of the stereotype of lots of different clothing manufacturers, um, which I will not name at this point, that have made very expensive sneakers. <laughs> Yeah. extremely expensive depending on who you are and depending on how much you, you earn Yeah. Uh, and the cost price of said sneakers are a couple of pennies to the pound and then you question yourself again how can it cost so little to make considering that in the majority of times they're made by hand some are made by machine, but the majority of these clothing items are made by hand. Yeah. So fast forward to July 2020, and we have a British firm by the name of Boohoo, who are clothing manufacturers that target, I'd say, the younger age demographic. I'd say from 18 to 30 max, maybe even 18 to 25, depending on who you are and, and, and how you look. Yeah. But 
they essentially imitate fast fashion trends at a very low buy price for consumers extremely low and boohoo plc has been one of the darlings of the of the london stock exchange because of how much their share price has grown over the last couple of years and i've always scratched my head thinking i just don't know how they do it because i know when i went out to china um obviously they would have the power of purchasing power and volume on their side but still i just couldn't work out how they can be selling items for four five six quid that's a a profit making Mm. a massive massive profit so fast forward to now and there are allegations of modern slavery that have been levied against boohoo plc and subsidiary companies within uh, boohoo plc who have directly and or indirectly used companies or leveraged profits from companies who are exploiting people who are being paid significantly under the minimum wage um, so the figures that I saw in a couple of bulletins were, you know, people were being paid around £3.50 an hour to produce clothes in underventilated, not fit for purpose factories in Leicester. In Leicester? And Leicester, yeah. Coincidentally, Leicester is the city in the UK that is under lockdown due to... Yeah, resurgence of uh, second... Resurgence of COVID-19. And it doesn't take a genius to work out correlations between um, overpopulated factories and lack of preventative measures to to prevent yeah. COVID-19. And then you start drawing conclusions. So in the last week or so, I think Boohoo share price has plummeted by about 50% because of the ESG concerns of investors and the government and i believe there's supposed to be some national investigation that's going to take place with regards to the allegations now being honest a lot of the manufacturers that are predominantly focused at the cheaper end the ones that are successful i have to sit here and say i'm extremely cynical and I, and, I, and I believe that, to be honest, I think they're all at it, yeah? Especially the ones who are focused on the cheaper end, i.e. Uh, Primark. There are others available, so I'm not necessarily suggesting that Primark have done anything untoward, but I'm suggesting customers and companies, or should I say companies, that focus on the same target demographic, i.e. the, the, the lower end of the price scale there has to be some type of exploitation in the supply chain just because of the sell prices that these guys are apparently profiting off I mean for 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 quite a few years now there's been multiple sort of uh, scandals of this nature not so much this nature because as pertains to the workforce actually being in in the UK, um, but there have been many a fashion house, many an establishment uh, 
um, sporting sporting apparel manufacturers as as per the one that you didn't mention that I'm pretty sure everyone is uh, taking <laughs> a well-educated guess as to who we're referring to. Um, there have been many, many articles sort of published around the, the workforce and the conditions in varying parts of the world. So China uh, being quite large, as well as India and, and other such other such areas. I think we would have to exist with with extreme naivety um, to to suspend our disbelief of the fact that these these companies who have genuinely exploited a workforce who work for pennies a, a day to to produce relatively cheap clothing and the fun part about it is that it's not just the manufacturers uh, targeting the the cheaper end of of the of the the, the price ranges it's also mid-tier yeah. brands as well who are, who are quite up and yeah. more more established larger uh, expensive brands um, there's a there's an extreme naivety to believe that these companies did not quite did not wholeheartedly know exactly what it is they were doing yeah. um, in terms of gaining their gaining their position um, yeah. you know manufacturing of products at a phenomenally low price so that their markup and their profit is exceptionally high. Um, I think it's, as I said, quite very well documented. And when I sort of spoke to the, the cost, you know, so in terms of people being paid pennies a day, I didn't mean singulars in one or two, two pennies, but I'm pretty sure that I've encountered articles, excuse me, <clears throat> where people have been paid, you know, um, around 50p a day and you always have two sides of this argument that, that, I, that I've that I've always seen so you have the it's really terrible we're exploiting these people we're paying them you know 44 pence a day 50 pence a day 90 pence a day you know um, to manufacture these you know these items of clothing at a volume at a speed in conditions that you wouldn't expect anyone else in the UK to ever actually work under, you know, mm-hmm. for, for, for the fact that it violates every health and safety regulation that you can imagine. Right. So you have that side of it. So there's a lot of disgust with that, but the defense, which a, a typically comes back is that, the, the companies cite the fact that without their, them being there and paying the 50 pence a day to the workers, those workers would have otherwise not had any income. And relatively speaking, in terms of the economy that they reside in, the 50 pence a day is actually a meaningful enough unit of money in terms of being able to feed yourself for the day or a family uh, for, for the day. Um, 
which, you know, which in itself, okay, fine, I get that. But, you know, alluding to the fact that, you know, the, they, they're keeping these people in, in, in employment and this employment f- facilitates these people's ability to feed their families and, and so forth. Um, I, I don't know if they feel that they were sort of making, taking some sort of moral high ground in highlighting you know, the good that they're doing, but it's blatant, you know, ignorance of the fact that you are exploiting people in a modern day slavery-esque fashion, um, principally because of the working conditions more than anything else. A lot of these people work under sort of hot, humid, cramped conditions. Um, There are a lot of places, again, um, from the documentaries that I've seen in India, where the people who actually work there actually sleep at yeah. their station, um, so that you know for a few hours, and then they wake up and they go right back to work. So you have like a sewing station set up, and they they sleep literally sort of underneath it. There's enough room for them to lay down, and and, yeah. and that's it. That's how they they function. Um, so yeah. as, as much as as much as you're sort of you know they're saying that yeah sure that this allows them to to pay for pay for food and and whatnot look after uh, their family where's the actual sort of human consideration because I guarantee you that not a not a single person here would ever dream of or entertain working under those conditions unless under extreme duress or you know with with without being coerced or forced into doing so yeah i mean i've still got my spreadsheet from 2015 2016 when i was looking to start that clothing brand and as you do, you try to work out at a macro level all of the costs, individual costs, to make up your total cost price per item. So I know that any person looking to do anything similar would know that the cost of production per unit would be extremely low. So from my perspective, I do not believe that any of these companies can plead ignorance. I Um, I, I totally agree with you. Yeah, it's it's not possible because even with my spreadsheet that I couldn't make the numbers add up trying to have a low price point. You know, this is the reason why you look to the Far East to get clothes made in the first place. Because let's be honest, the cost of producing clothes in this country, we already know, even if you just based it on minimum wage, that would blow out most business cases for low-end clothing in this country, just due to the to the amount that the minimum wage would add up to. If you divide it out by you know 100 units, then you can start to see that, well, you're not going to be able to sell it for four quid, for example, because the numbers just don't stack up. Yeah. 
I mean, coupled coupled um, with coupled with the actual workforce and the conditions and the expectations yeah. uh, of them in yeah. terms of volume in, in a day. Yeah, it, it's it's just it's just not feasible to to even do it in the UK, right? So 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 that's so, so that's the first thing. What's interesting about Boohoo is the fact that they have not chosen to get their clothes made abroad because clearly their business case enables them to achieve the same margins by doing it in this country. And that is surprising to me. And to be honest with you, I wasn't aware, not that I have read Boohoo PLC's annual reports. So maybe if I read those, uh, then I would know, but I'm not an investor or have any other interest in Boohoo, so I probably wouldn't have ever needed to. Um, but if if I had known that, I would immediately have questioned how they can afford to sell clothes at that price or at the prices that they sell them for and make a profit. Um, and I guess why it kind of bothers me is it's just another reminder that capitalism is a zero-sum game, right? For, for someone to win, someone must lose. And I've seen a press release that's been published by one of the directors within Boohoo, which essentially says that we were not aware of malpractice we found some evidence of some malpractice, so we're dealing with them appropriately, but we were not explicitly aware that people are being underpaid and we knew, and we do not believe that, that is the case. So, <clears throat> you know, losing 50% of your sale price in a week would probably lead you to believe that people aren't buying it. And although the market may be using Boohoo PLC as an example, or I'd, I almost wanted to use the word scapegoat there, but they can't be scapegoats because I'm one of those who believe that they have done wrong. But <laughs> the market's going to make an example of them, but they surely can't be the only ones. In terms of operation, in terms of operations based here, or in terms of the, the well, that's the a unique thing. So that that's the one unique thing that I will say. Um, so I think I, I was shocked to hear that they were doing it here. And if they were producing clothes here, then to be honest with you, I don't, you know, it doesn't take a genius to work out that there's some way that they're making a profit here because everyone else gets it made in China. And actually, the stereotype of clothes being made in China now is probably an outdated one now because because of the cost of human resources in China, mm -hmm. it's no longer cheap to make clothes in China. And actually, I'm aware of a lot of Chinese manufacturers outsourcing their operations to other neighboring countries yeah, to yeah. try to maintain the margins. Countries such as Vietnam and Cambodia who both of which I've heard separate rumors about how people are being exploited in those countries for 
old-fashioned capitalism. Yeah, I've definitely heard that about Cambodia for sure. Yeah, and um, I was in Bangkok in 2013, and there are numerous clothing wholesalers out in Thailand, which you've probably heard about. And one thing you do realise is clothes are insanely cheap that side of the world. Oh, yes. Prices that you don't believe actually exist. And they still make profits of those very tiny relative amounts of money. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everything becomes relative to to your your economical scale, right? So yeah. it's, you know, co- cost of living on that side of the world compared to here. So any, you know, the minimum wage here is is quite, you know, princely um, in, in other parts of the world. So it becomes, yeah. becomes relative to your situation. So cost-wise, so in terms of wearing clothes, you, you, you're not going to find UK level or US level prices of the same products in those environments because there isn't, you know, people don't have that level of income to support that. Um, You know, similarly with the, the Caribbean in terms of cost of clothing and different things there, you know, you can, it, it, it works the same way. So things don't necessarily cost the same aside from certain trainer manufacturing brands who shall remain <laughs> anonymous. Um, they're the same price pretty much anywhere aside from when you get over to China and those parts. Um, yes. So, yeah, so, it, so it, it, it's relative. So that's why, you know, that's the, the, the draw and the attraction to the manufacturing from that part of the world. Also, China as a, as a country is is well versed in a, and, and an expert in terms of managing the masses, in terms yeah. of production, in terms of coordination. I think, if, if anything, the Beijing Olympic Games was a demonstration of the Chinese ability to coordinate a large mass of people um when you if you ever looked at the opening ceremony for it the volume of people they actually had on the floor uh performing the sequencing you know exactly in step uh you know beautifully orchestrated Uh, so that that mass that mass people management uh with a singular focus to actually build things um when we had uh the the outbreak of uh, coronavirus. I think a lot of people have seen the time-lapse video of the construction of the hospital out there that went up in an obscene amount of time for the actual size and scale of it. Um, The UK tried to jump on the bandwagon with, you know, the, the first Nightingale hospital built in whichever period that it was, you know, and it by uh, by the UK's standards, it was a phenomenal achievement. But by China's standards, for instance, you know, there and looking at it, us, they'd be like, really, all that time, and that's all you built, um, yeah, would would be the way that it is. So it, it's 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 not a surprise 
you know, that people would look there. But with China's rise and rise of, you know, uh, increasing in GDP, increasing in, I don't know, let's say billionaires, the, the rise and rise of all of the super cities, you know, yeah. there and thoughts towards a different future um, where they realized that they couldn't sustain the same level of economic growth using the same uh, business practices. So starting to diversify into services and alternate ways of generating wealth. I think a lot of these things contributed to the increase in labor cost and the subsequent you know, um, sourcing for their neighboring uh, countries that are slightly behind in terms of their economic development. Yeah. I mean, is it is it yeah. is it right? Do have you have you heard this as well? There was a particular city in in China that was is referred to as the the sock capital of the world. Something like over ninety percent of the socks in the world are actually produced in this one city in China. So say that again. Did you say the, did you say the stocks? Sock. Sock. Socks. As in the, oh, the item uh, of the item of clothing you wear on your feet. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I just uh yeah, I thought you said thank you there for a second. <laughs> um no, I wasn't I, I'm not aware of the, the name of that one, but the place where I'd went to they they were proclaiming that they they basically make the world's clothes, which is a, a city in Dongguan. No, sorry, a town called Dongguan in 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 southwest China. Okay. Yeah, well, I'm sure that um, after I do a couple of Google searches, that I'll be able to find um, what cities and towns in China are famous for for producing and manufacturing lots of different things. Yeah, I think they they. You know, they, they specialize in certain things and, and more than excel at it. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess the thing with Boohoo and other manufacturers is this fast fashion demand, fast fashion operation. It comes with a lot of potential for exploitation. And I'm not suggesting that the whole fashion industry exploit people. I'm not saying that every company that has clothes being sold under a certain relative price are evil. But what I am saying is that we should all be more conscious of the types of companies that we spend our money in. And I think that the relevant agencies and policymakers need to police practices that are iffy and that's the only word i'm going to use for it yeah. because i mean if i'd known that i would have been questioning their whole business model from day one because it, it's difficult enough to make money getting the clothes made abroad which the majority of people in this or businesses in this country do yeah uh, so to say that you're making a profit, getting clothes made in the UK, it, come on, it, you know. I think there's clearly someone losing massively. I think I remember there was a bit of a there was a bit of a, a sort of 
want to use the word renaissance when a lot of these docu documentaries came to light. So I think the one that I saw, I believe it was on, on the BBC, where they took they took a small handful of um, aspiring British designers out to different parts of Asia to see the, the production, the manufacturing process, sort of from start to finish in terms of the workforce, the environment, the 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 volume and the actual costs for production and genuinely every single person that was there was absolutely gobsmacked at the conditions the actual costs in terms of pay the actual costs in terms of the material um, and shipping and actually getting it back and the thing about the, the, the companies don't, don't forget you know every company functions as a business and when you go and you ask a question around how much does it cost to how much would it cost to produce 10,000 100,000 of a particular particular article and the company comes back and gives you a price i absolutely guarantee you that none of those fashion houses went oh okay that's really cheap i'll take that i'm i'm pretty sure yeah. they they negotiated an even cheaper price to actually maximize their their profit unquestionably yeah. but, you know as a business this this is this is what happens no one takes the the first offer that's put out, you know, on the premise that they, you, you're being, you're being highballed with the first offer about, you know, cost, cost of service that comes your way. So then you negotiate, negotiate, imagine that you're, you're negotiating, you know, staff's pay when you're arguing the difference between 50 pence or 44 pence a day. Yeah. Um, so think the and after as i said after these documentaries i i started seeing a lot of fashion houses here start to change up their policies and a lot of them came up with statements around you know the around ethical practices um and yeah. reviews of the services and and the staff and there were pledges to help improve the combination of work conditions and pay for staff. So, you know, it, it was like, first it was fair trade bananas. Now it's sort of fair trade manufacturers. <laughs> so yeah. making sure that you get a decent price, which is only a good thing. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I didn't you know, mean it in a sort of joking way. It is a good thing if that, that, those issues were brought to the forefront um, and highlighted and thing, steps were being made to address it. The, it's always twinned with the grand irony of the fact that the same people who are making these steps are the same people who've enjoyed a, a, the period of exploitation and, and profit uh, you know, share this whole time. And again, see previous conversation around the, the extreme naivety if you believe that they weren't aware of it. But the same ones, yeah. the same ones, are now championing the fairness of it. You know, pleading, pleading yeah. ignorance. Um, you know, a similar thing happens in the the corporate world. Following the, uh, you know, the the the, the Black Lives Matter movement uh, in 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 the U.S., where it's gained sort of global attention. You know. A lot of organizations, you start to see statements coming up on their public 
facing websites talking about you know the nature of the company being inclusive and respectful of all etc 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 it's you know um and then some of them citing the fact that they have a bane you know uh network within the within the organization mm. it's like uh, don't, okay don't start me so okay that's 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 fine so something has happened on a global scale and now the reaction is for people to point out how inclusive they are. Um, so <laughs> not quite the same thing, but it touches the same sort of nerve in terms of who's, who, who are the people who've been benefiting or doing something slightly unethical. And then when things are being exposed and challenged and brought to the fore, then pointing out, you know, their good nature and highlighting that, you know, they they are pro this, that or the other. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, this was a, a short discussion, but fun nonetheless. So Stephen, thank you very much, sir. I think the um my, my favorite favorite takeaway from this is uh is the the unintended awareness that listeners now have at you shopping at Primark for underwear. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not gonna lie. I can I can let that one go. I, I'm I'm sorry. Uh, I felt that it needed to be mentioned again before we uh, sign off. Oh. Uh, I've, I've got no shame. There, there's no shame in shopping in Primark for underwear. Evidently. <laughs> Thank you very much, Stephen. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure as ever, as always. And I look forward to the next one.